I'm Dan Benjamin, and this is The Podcast Method, the show where I attempt to answer your questions about podcasting and recording, audio and video equipment, software, mic technique, post-production, workflows, and that type of thing. Thank you very much for tuning in today. I really appreciate it. Uh, and I hope that I am doing a good job answering your questions. Uh, you can ask me anything that you would like to know that I know about audio, podcasting, production, editing, recording, and uh, and video stuff. If you want, by asking me on Twitter, I'm at Dan Benjamin. And please include the hashtag podcast method so that before the show, when I'm going over my notes and uh, and looking at Twitter, that I will see your question and attempt to get to it here. I wanted to make a little note. Uh, my hero, David Letterman, retired just a couple days ago doing his last show. And I want to just say, as I've said on a couple other shows this week, if it wasn't for him and uh, and people like him, Johnny Carson, Rod Serling, and some of my other heroes in broadcasting, I definitely wouldn't be doing this. And so if this show is helpful to you in some small way, it's due in large part to uh, to David Letterman and folks like him. So uh, sorry to see them go. It's weird. You know, a show like uh, Late Night with David Letterman and The Tonight Show and this, things like that, they become a constant. They become a part of your life. They become something that you kind of come to rely on in a way. And then all of a sudden it's gone. And, you know, even if you weren't necessarily watching the show on a regular basis, you knew that, oh, it's about that time. And if you felt like it, you could turn it on. And Dave would be there sitting at his desk talking to Paul, interviewing folks. It becomes part of your routine, even if it's in a weird way, a part of your routine that you don't necessarily uh, lean on on a regular basis. But if you're like me and you did watch it on a somewhat regular or very regular basis, you know what I'm talking about. I think the same thing is true for radio shows. If you like, uh, you know, maybe there's uh, maybe there's that NPR show that you like listening to or the, in the morning or, you know, like you watch Sports Center at night. Or whatever it is, your favorite TV show, radio show, or podcast. I think nowadays podcasts are definitely filling that space. They are definitely in that category of things that people rely on. You know, and I've talked before about the importance of releasing on a regular schedule, uh, the importance of coming out with a show as often as your audience expects you to. You know, I do a, a daily show the Dan Benjamin Hour. I'm doing that five days a week. And I do it at a different time on a couple of other days to accommodate the other shows that are longer running shows where I'm, you know, for example, the uh, the Tuesday show I do with Merlin Mann, Back to Work. We record that every single Tuesday. So I will sometimes try to fit the show in before that, but I like to have time to like prepare for that show before we start it. And, uh, and sometimes I'll wind up doing it in the afternoon. People don't like that. Sometimes I get people complaining like they want to listen to the show at, at their lunch break. Uh, so even little things like that, obviously, it's super flattering to know that people are out there waiting to hear this thing that you've made. David Letterman would show up every night, five nights a week, and I could watch that show. And I knew that even if it was a rerun once in a while, that was OK. Like there was a show and he was out there doing it and somehow kind of knowing he was out there. That kind of mattered, you know, in a weird way. And I, I love Jimmy Fallon, but I don't have that association. I, I'm glad the Tonight Show still exists, but I don't have that same connection. And maybe I will in a few years. Maybe I will in a while. But, you know, I had I had that kind of a feeling of like, you know, 
I've heard someone in a recent review of uh, David Letterman in his early career describe him as seditious. It was, you know, he really was like you. You felt like he kind of represented this new culture of people that was coming out. And I think for a lot of folks, podcasting is is that today. They want to know that that show that you do, whether it's every day or once a week or once a month, that like you're out there. So in a weird way, you know, I, I think that's important. People want to rely on that thing. Even if they don't listen every single episode, they want to know that you're out there doing it. And I'm like incredibly flattered and proud that there's a few people, it's a small group of people, but there's a few people who tune into my show five days a week and they like it. And that has become part of their, uh, part of their commute or part of their day. That's the best thing in the world. And I really don't care how big the audience is. I mean, obviously we all want, uh, as big of an audience as we can get, but I'm happy with the small one that I have. And, uh, and, and you can be happy with that small audience you have uh, too, regardless of if it's one person, 50 people or 50,000 people, it's uh, it's all pretty awesome. So that's what I have to say about that. And uh, and I hope that you feel inspired by this show and, and by folks like David Letterman and all the other great uh, entertainers and broadcasters out there uh, who show up and let that be an inspiration for you to show up on a regular basis because I think it's important. So here's a handful of questions. The The big question, the big topic that I will get to in uh, in the latter part of the show today is uh, what everybody's been talking about as we predicted and as I discussed on a handful of other shows, including the Dan Benjamin Hour, uh, podcasts have come to Spotify. Podcasts have really made it uh, because they're in Spotify, right? Is it good? Is it bad? Should we care? Will it make a difference? I have a lot of thoughts on this topic, and I will be sharing them with you. But first, I want to get to your questions. So here are a handful of them. Richard Warfield Jr., who is Mac D. Racer or Mac Dracer on Twitter, asked me a few questions. Uh, but the first one, and a number of people have said, yes, Dan, please make a video showing how to set up Mix Minus on the Focusrite Sapphire Pro 24. This, if you don't know, is the main audio box that we're using in our second studio, which, by the way, that makes it sound like really fit. We have two studios here at 5x5, and yeah, we do. It's just two separate rooms. It's just two small rooms. That's, that's our studio. Uh, and in the second room, which is where we do the, the video stuff for Dan Benjamin Hour and, and some other things I'm working on, in that room, I have a second audio setup in the what used to be the... The, the main studio, and now I actually find I'm in the video. I'm recording this in the video room now. Uh, we use the uh, Sapphire Pro 24 as our digital audio box. In the old uh, audio room, we are using the Apollo. I actually kind of like the Sapphire in a few ways more. The Apollo's great, but the Sapphire coming in at around 300 bucks is a really, really great box. It has a handful of mics. And by the way, if you want more mic preamps, you can just go up to like, I think this is Sapphire Pro 40, you could just go up to the next level one and it'll come with more preamps. Really enjoying this thing. And right now I'm talking to you through the Telefunken M82. What could be more fun to say when you're talking about a microphone as Telefunken? The Telefunken M82 is a broadcast uh, dynamic mic that, uh, like many other broadcasting mics, it was originally designed as like a kick drum mic. But they work great for vocals, just like the RE20 and the Heil PR40. 
uh, dynamic mics that are just super, super cool for vocals. Try them all. That's what I say. Try them all and see which one makes your voice sound better. For me, the Telefunken, I like it way better than the Heil. I like it way better than the Shure SM7. But that's me and that's my voice. So go try it out. But anyway, I'm, I'm talking to you through that Sapphire and people ask me, a lot of people are saying, how do I set up Mix Minus? What is Mix Minus? Uh, how do I set it up? I can't figure it out. I'm working on a video for this that should come out next week. And uh, the folks who are the Patreon supporters will get it first. I'm finally going to be able to reward you guys who are supporting me on Patreon uh, and, and, and helping us pay the bills, really helping us pay the bills. Uh, you're going to get it first, and then it will come out for everyone. But if you want to support, help support the show, it's uh, patreon.com slash 5 by 5 That will be in the show notes at 5x5.tv slash podcast method slash 12. So thanks to everyone who's, who's doing that. But I will be making that video and getting it out to you guys uh, and then to everyone coming up next on YouTube. Anyway, this, de- this device, this box is, uh, is really great. But I'm not going straight into the box with the microphone. And that's what a lot of people have asked me about, including Richard and a number of other people. I almost always, for these setups, go through the DBX-286S. I've talked about this thing before, and I want to kind of describe it in a little bit more detail because it's like if you're thinking that you want to go the route of having a dynamic mic or a condenser mic that's like broadcast quality and you don't want to spend an arm and a leg on preamps and stuff like that, I've said this again and again, and it's so important. The better your live signal coming in, the better the signal is that's coming into your hardware that you're recording with the better the output will be and the less time that you'll spend in post. And that means faster turnaround time. And that means fewer excuses in getting the thing published, right? So I recommend the DBX-286S. It is designed to be mounted in a rack. So it's not like a neat little desktop device. It's not going to look good on your desk. It's too big. It's not meant for that. It's meant to be used in like recording studios and broadcast radio stations. And it is a workhorse device that any radio station or broadcast situation or recording studio you walk into, they're going to have tons of these things. And they're not expensive. They're like 200 bucks. Sometimes you can find them cheaper. But go to Amazon and there'll be links in the show notes. These things cost about 200 bucks. They have built-in compression. They have built-in noise gate. They have... uh all, all this stuff is it just built in. Now, I am the room that I'm in right now. If you've ever watched my my, uh, my daily show, you'll you'll have probably seen out the window once in a while. There is mad Austin rush hour traffic happening right now, and I'm going to be quiet, and you tell me if you can hear it. A big truck just went by. There's cars going crazy out there. You can't hear it. I can hear it in this room, but you can't. And there's two reasons why. One is the Telefunken M82 has really good noise rejection. That means that if I'm not right in front of the microphone, even more extreme than the Heil, it's not going to pick me up. Uh, and on top of that, we're doing just some subtle noise gating, which says, which where the, the DBX-286S says, you know what? If the sound is below a certain threshold, ignore it. Just ignore it. Don't do anything with it. You can do this with audio processing in post. Absolutely. You absolutely can. But doing it live with a live signal is even better, especially if you have hosts or guests who are uh, not, maybe don't have the best mic technique in the world. Another thing that I've done, and I've done this, and I, 
again, this like this seemed obvious to me, but it's not obvious, I guess. I run guests who are coming in over Skype through these things too. Of course, they need more processing in some ways than I do because I'm right here in front of a good mic with a good setup and mic technique that I've been practicing, you know, uh, seven days a week sometimes for, uh, for, you know, seven, eight years. Longer. And they're talking into a kind of a crappy microphone and they're coming in over Skype. Yes, take the output of that dedicated Skype machine, that Mac Mini, and run it through the DBX before it goes into your Sapphire, before it goes into your Apollo, before it goes into your Mackie, whatever mixer or audio interface you're using. Yes, highly recommend it. If none of this makes sense or if only some of it makes sense, uh, then uh, definitely go and, and check out this video that I'm working on where I'll, I'll explain it all. Another question that Richard Warfield Jr. asks is, can you speak to the importance of a release form or a contract for interview guests or co-hosts? Well, as far as interview guests go, I know that in TV and on radio, they have a form that, you know, that someone signs that basically says, look, I know that I'm going to be on the air. I know that anything that I say will be broadcast. And if I say something dumb, I'm not going to hold you responsible. There should be something like that uh, out there that we can just download and use. Maybe a radio station has like standard forms. That, there isn't one. I, I need one. I should probably have one. I should probably go retroactively back to all my previous guests and all my pipeline guests and everything else and, and make them sign it. Uh, I think it's probably more important than we realize. Uh, but just like the rest of podcasting, People don't take it quite that seriously, even though it's big business or can be big business. People don't really take it that seriously. And they're somehow, well, it's just a podcast. It's not like it's on TV. It's not like it's on a radio. Hey, I got news for you. There are a lot of podcasts with a much bigger audience than there are radio stations, morning shows. You'd be surprised. So I I think this is actually probably important. And I have added this uh, on my to-do list. And I'll tell you what, uh, when I get one of these things written... I will post it in the link and you can download it and use it for yourself as well. Uh, I may have to hire an attorney to write me one, but uh, I don't care. I'll, I'll share it with everyone if it turns out that, that we really need this. Uh, so I would say it's kind of important. Sam Davies, who is Mr. Beefy on Twitter, says, can you describe when you took the leap to try to book your first sponsor? I tried to book my first sponsor in a... In a uh, Early, early, early episode, I think of like Hive Logic Radio, which was my first podcast that I put on iTunes. And uh, it had just enough of an audience back then. And I hit up uh, a couple sponsors and they all said, no, 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 no. I asked right away. Now, it's a very different landscape today than it is, uh, than it was way, way back in, gosh, what was that, 2007, 2006? I forget. Now it's kind of expected that podcasts can get sponsorships. That's a thing. But I would ask yourself the same question is if, if you were coming out with a website and it had no traffic and you weren't sure if it was going to be a success thing or not, would you, how early on would you have sponsors? Well, or advertisers on it. You'd probably wait until you had some traffic. And even if it was small traffic, you might say, you know what? We're getting enough traffic right now. We've got Quarter of a million page views. That's that's a lot, right? Okay, well, let's go see if we can get some sponsors. I think the same is true for podcasting. I have been told more recently over and over again, most podcast sponsors are now looking at bigger shows. They are not interested. 
and they are less and less interested in smaller shows. By the way, that sucks for everybody with smaller shows. And a lot of the shows that I do on 5x5 and elsewhere, and I know a lot of my friends' shows, are going to fit into the category of small shows. That doesn't mean they're not great. You know, imagine a play that you saw at a tiny little theater, you know, in the downtown area of your town. It might have had, you know, a, a really small audience, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't one of the best plays you've ever seen. So being small is not necessarily being bad. So just keep that in mind. But as far as when you go to to see a sponsor, to acquire a sponsor for your show, know that a show with 500 or 1,000 or even a few thousand downloads, in and of itself, it's just, it's not feasible. It's not that the sponsor doesn't want to sponsor your show. And it's not that they don't think that they might get a good return on their investment of that sponsorship. It's simply they don't have the time. They don't have the time just to talk to all of the podcasters with really great shows that get 1,500 downloads an episode. They don't have the bandwidth for that. They might want to, but they have to focus on something that's manageable. One of the things that I've been trying to build is a tool that's going to make it really easy for them to sponsor you and your show, and that's by giving really good stats, really good download tracking, really good information that you can use as a tool to help sell it. But the bigger issue, and this is the one reason why I think podcast networks still do have a value, is if if I have five or ten shows on 5x5, five five, each of which gets, let's just say, 5,000 downloads an episode. Individually, the individual podcaster trying to establish a relationship with a bigger company, let's just say uh, my sponsor uh, today, let's just say they're, you're trying to establish a relationship with Linda. Linda's going to have to look at your show and say, well, you only get 4,500 downloads a week. That's actually really good. But you know what? We we really don't talk to shows that have less than 50,000. Now, I'm not saying that that's the case with Linda. I'm just using them as, as an example. If that was the case, you, they just don't have the time to invest in building a relationship with you and trying out sponsorships of your show and investigating reporting and building a custom landing page and setting up a promo code. All of those things take time and they take work. They may not be able to have the bandwidth for that. They only want that 40, 50,000 download show. Well, a podcast network can take a group of five or 10 shows that get, you know, four, five, 10,000 downloads each and group them together and say, here are our shows on Apple. Here are our shows in the geek space. Here are our shows on gaming. Here are our shows on knitting, whatever. And say, you know what? You should pay attention because this is a block of shows. It's going to give you this many downloads and please pay attention to it. So that's definitely a, a benefit of being on a podcast network. And that's one of the ways that you can kind of get that introduction to uh, to working with a sponsor as your show is small until it starts growing and, and getting bigger. Ryan Rushing, who is drawing type on Twitter, says, do you have any recommended methods to update the podcast feed URL? Apple doesn't seem to make this easy. I have answered this question, uh, but but I think it bears repeating. There is a special iTunes you are a special iTunes tag that you can put into your RSS feed, depending on how you uh, how you update that, that uh, or how you generate that rather. That is like iTunes new feed URL. I'll put a link to these guidelines in the show notes again at five by five tv slash podcast method slash twelve. That is the official way to update a podcast feed URL. The better way to do it, though is to use, like I said in previous episodes when I answered this same very question, but I'll mention it again, is using a 301 uh, or three, even a 302 redirect. 
That is something you do at the web server level. And being able to do that implies that you have some degree of control over the web server that you're on. So if you're hosting this yourself, then it's pretty easy. But most other sites uh, will have the ability for you to add a redirect. So you can Google uh, 301 redirect. And that is that what that does is when any web client, whether it's iTunes, whether it's uh, whether it's a web browser, doesn't matter anything that goes to hit that old feed URL. Let's say you're moving to a new location. Anything that hits that old one will get redirected to the new location and you will you will be golden. Gosh, I'm going to try not to butcher this name. I am so sorry. Kaushik Gopal says, Dan, when recording with multiple guests, what are some tips to avoid speaking over each other? He also says, if recording guests on Skype and running them through an audio gear, uh, does them having good versus great mics matter? Uh, You know, you're going to be dealing with a lot of compression uh, anyway. So the difference between them having a really good mic and them having a decent mic, you're not going to notice a difference. You will notice a difference if they've got a terrible mic and a, uh, versus a good mic, but you won't necessarily notice good versus great unless you do a double ender where they're going to record their own audio and ship it to you and you'll use the audio, their audio that you recorded as a reference. In, in the case of, uh, of that, then yes, the mic does matter, but as long as they've got something decent, Skype is going to kind of downgrade it a little bit anyway, so th- there isn't a huge difference. That's the second part of your question. The first part, tips to avoid speaking over each other. That's a tricky one. People will tend to speak over each other even in person. They'll tend to speak over each other even when they're uh, sitting across from the same table. It just happens. People get excited about a topic. They start talking about it. And uh, you know what? They're, you're going to run together. The, the first thing that you can do to try and help this when you have people who are remote is for both of you to have a really, really good internet connection, the best that you can afford. That will make it so that there will be fewer delays, fewer interruptions, fewer Skype drops, fewer problems from the technical hardware and software that's pushing this. If the other person can hear you and you can sort of talk at the same time, you'll get a sense for when one person is talking and the other person isn't talking. Uh, another thing that you can do, people a lot of the time say, I have a good internet connection, I've, I've got a good one, but we still have these weird Skype issues. Never, ever, ever be on Wi-Fi. Always be Hardware connected, Ethernet connected. Oh, but my MacBook doesn't have an Ethernet connection. Well, you can give it one. You can go and get a little Thunderbolt, if your Mac has Thunderbolt, a Thunderbolt adapter that's going to convert to an Ethernet connection and plug in. Your connection will be much better. Skype will be much, much, much better across the board. So that's one thing that you can do is to never be on Wi-Fi. Uh, that's a, a big thing. And in, in case you haven't made this uh, setup before, done the setup before, what you need to do is you need to go into your preferences and you need to make sure that the order of Ethernet versus Wi-Fi, that Ethernet is on top. And you can do that by clicking the little, uh, the little gear and saying, picking uh, set service order. There's another easier way to do that. Once you're plugged in on the hardware, uh, onto Ethernet, just turn off Wi-Fi. That will force your connection to happen always over Ethernet and force the Skype connection to be much better. If you've done everything you can do with that connection, you know, you're not on Wi-Fi and you've got the best internet connection on both sides that you can afford and that you can make happen, and you still find that you're talking over the other person, then it's going to come down to to sort of practice. It's going to be your practice as a host and as an interviewer 
It's going to be your rapport with the other person of knowing uh, when you want to say something, when they're going to say something. And it's also going to come down to doing some work in post. If you find that you're talking over the other person or they're talking over you, drop a marker while you're while you're editing the show or make a note of the time that it happened and come back to it and edit that part out. Edit the part where you're talking over them and they don't hear it and then they finally hear it and then they're sort of stumbling and then you get back on track. Clean that up. Edit it out. That's good editing. That's the kind of editing I approve of and, and love when people do that. Nothing is worse than awkward pauses, tripping over each other. That That's a, a Skype technical difficulty, and that's something I fully believe should be edited out. Get that out of there and make it so that your audience never hears those technical problems that you're running into. But I think a big part of it really does come down to you as host or interviewer. Uh, you need to be very much aware that when you're asking a question, uh, when you're commenting on something that the person says, you need to give that breathing room. And if there's a little too much of a pause before or after a question, yeah, edit that out. Make it sound like a regular conversation would sound if you were in the same room. F- fully support that, and I think that's uh, that's a good idea. I hope that answers your question. Uh, Jerry, oh, sorry, Jeff Perry, who is Jeff D. Perry on Twitter, says, I would love if you could talk uh, about one-man shows like your Dan Benjamin Hour because I have a one-man show. I think... You know, when you look at what's out there in the world of traditional radio entertainment, which uh, w- which is where podcast draws its history from, these really are just time-shifted radio programs, whether they're produced or not, you know, whether they're live to tape versus produced creations. There are a whole lot of one-man or we should say one-person shows out there where you have a host who's doing some kind of monologue, maybe taking calls. Maybe they have a co-host who perks up once in a while to say something uh, or who they can speak to as their in-studio audience. Doing a one-person show is a big challenge, I think. You have to, you know, I remember I interviewed Jesse Thorne for one of the episodes of The Pipeline, Uh, not the rebooted Pipeline, but one of the classic episodes. And he said, I complimented him and, and said, you're a great interviewer, you know, what, how how did how did you become such a great interviewer and what do you, what do you like about interviewing and he said you know of course he thanked me and he said you know i i don't really i the idea of getting on and talking for 15 minutes or 30 minutes by myself he said that's completely horrifying i'm paraphrasing but he said that's completely horrifying to me i think it would scare me to death i would never be able to do it i think that's fascinating because i think Jesse Thorne is such a well spoken smart individual with so much to say the idea of him not being able to do something that for me is really enjoyable was a surprise. I'm incredibly challenged by interviewing folks. At the pipeline, I do tremendous uh, research before I interview the person. I study them. I listen to other shows or watch other shows that they've been on. And the interview is a, is a huge challenge for me. But just talking for an hour, well, that's easy. I'm not saying I'm great at it, but I love it, and it's easy for me to do. I think that might be a unique thing. I'm not sure, but I can get in front of a microphone or in front of a crowd and talk for a long time with little to no preparation, but I love doing that. That's fun and a challenge, but it's not a fearful challenge where that interviewing for me can be like, oh, man, what am I going to ask? What if I ask something stupid? Uh, So doing the one-man show thing for me is is a very fun and natural thing. 
But keep in mind that I have a lot of practice doing this. I have been doing this every single day, many times a day for many, many years. It's also something I've always wanted to do. So having that one-man show, having a daily show is a huge challenge. And also keep in mind, here's here's the big reward of it. If you are doing a one-person show and you have listeners, they are tuning in for you. Maybe they like your guests if you have them, but they're tuning in for you. That is a huge, huge deal. If you have a co-host, then they're tuning in for you and your co-host and the shared rapport and the things that each of you brings to the conversation. But if they're tuning in for you, wow, that is a big deal. And back to the Letterman uh, concept, I tuned in more for Dave than for his guests. I didn't care who his guests were. I liked Dave and I I liked how he would interview people and the questions that he would ask. Same thing for Dan Patrick. I love listening to Dan Patrick. Tune into Dan Patrick for Dan. I don't really care if he has guests or who's going to be on. Yeah, that adds something. But mainly I'm tuning in for him and to hear what he's talking about. So if someone's tuning into your one-person show, that is a true fan. They're not tuning in for anyone but you. Those people, that there's something to be said for that, even if it's 50 people out of the whole world. Those are your 50 most loyal fans and they will support anything you do and they will love you until they die and, uh, and treat them well. Now, before uh, I go to my next question and my big topic, I'd like to say thank you very much to my sponsor, Linda. Linda.com, and it's spelled L-Y-N-D-A. Linda.com slash podcast method is the place to go to support this show. They're an online learning platform with over 3,000 on-demand video courses to help you strengthen your business, technology, and creative skills. And they are giving you listeners to this show a free 10-day trial by going to lynda.com slash podcast method. And here's a few courses that we uh, we picked out that you might enjoy that you might want to get started on during your free 10-day trial. Audio recording techniques, audio mastering techniques, foundations of audio, EQ and filters. Remember an episode, was it two, where I talked about like EQ? Well, there's a whole thing on it here, a whole course. You can jump in and learn it. Music production secrets, Logic Pro 10 Essential Training, Pro Tools 11 Essential Training, Podcasting with GarageBand 3, Maximizing Your Web and Video Podcast Audience with Syndication. I mean, all this stuff is here. It's right there for you to go in and listen to. And they're letting you get access to it and all of the other videos on Linda for free for 10 days. Imagine what you could learn in 10 days with access to everything. Top experts who are passionate about teaching, all right there for you. Download it to your iOS device, your Android device create playlists and share them with your friends. All of this is right there waiting for you. lynda.com slash podcast method. Go check it out. Todd Peppercorn on Twitter says, Dan, when is your grand podcasting system going to be ready? What he's talking about is a system I've uh, spoken about a little bit, which involves stats and tracking and our CMS and other things. We're going to be opening this up. There are a lot of other systems out there that do this kind of thing, whether it's Libsyn or whether it's uh, FeedPress or Squarespace or using SoundCloud to host your files. There are so many really great options that are right out there now. Don't wait for me to release this system uh, in order to start a show. 
I would hate for you to be, I would hate to think that you're saying, well, I'm going to wait for Dan because you know what you're really doing is you're really just procrastinating. If you've got something to say and you've got a great show idea, get it out there. Don't wait. Uh, because there have been a number of people who have said, I'm going to wait for your thing because I don't want to switch. We're going to make it easy for you to switch if you want to switch. Don't worry about that. You'll be able to switch if you like what I'm building enough. If you like what I'm building enough to want to switch, I promise you we'll make that part of the, the transition easy. But don't let that be an excuse. It's so easy to procrastinate. Believe me, I know. I'm doing this show at 5.50 p.m. on a Friday. I understand that. Well, I mean, we did have a, a trip. We had to go to we visit a sponsor in Dallas. But yeah, and that like that wears you out. I totally get the whole thing of like, man, how am I supposed to record a show on top of going to work and these kids and this other stuff I got to do? I, I hear you. And I understand procrastination. It's all of our worst enemy, isn't it? But don't use the excuse of, well, Dan is coming out with a cool thing, so I'm going to wait. Get it out there. Do your best. Do put your best work out there today. Get it out there today. Josh Morgan says, should guests expect to be compensated for appearances on for-profit podcasts? How is this usually handled? I can't tell you how it is usually handled. I can only tell you how we usually handle it. Typically, guests, not co-hosts, but guests are not compensated. I would love to be able to compensate all of the guests that we have. It would be a an accounting challenge to do that, but I would love to be able to do it. But a lot of the time, the fact is, there's simply, we can't afford to do that. The flip side of it is, though, they are being compensated, but not financially. I have never had somebody come to me and say, wow, what a waste of time it was being on your show. I didn't get anything out of that. Because you know what? Even if you have only 50 people listening to your show, there's a chance that not all of those 50 people have heard of the person that's being a guest on your show. They may have just gotten 50 new Twitter followers. They may have gotten five new Patreon supporters out of it. They may have gotten exposure to an audience that they never would have been able to reach before or that would have been a challenge for them to reach in some way. So they are getting compensated. It just might not be money. And I've never had a guest come to me and say, hey, would you like to be on Dan Benjamin Hour on Tuesday? I want to talk to you about this thing. And I had them say, or Pipeline or whatever show, and had them say, yeah, sure, sure. How much do I get paid? Never once in all the years I've been doing this have I ever had anyone say that to me. Usually they're like, oh, wow, yeah, thanks for asking. I'd love to be on a show. The same thing that I say if somebody asks me, Dan, come on my show. Of course, I would love to be. As long as we can make the time work, I'll be there. I mean, I'm not saying you shouldn't offer to compensate if you can, but I don't believe that guests are, uh, are, are expecting this. And I think if you can afford to do it and you offer and you say, hey, it pays 50 bucks. Now in TV, my understanding is that if somebody's a guest on a TV show, that there's some kind of default amount. I've often heard that, that, that every guest gets paid $200. And that like if you're a guest on, on the, the Tonight Show, you get paid $200. I don't know if this is true, but I've heard this multiple times. And $200 is always the number that I've heard, and I don't know why. Why? Why is it always $200? Maybe that's like a minimum amount that uh, uh, somebody in a union or a performer is supposed to get paid. But I've, I understand that that's a flat rate, that like if you're on a show like that, you get paid $200, no more, no less, regardless of if it's you know some uh, tiny little news station 
or if it's the Tonight Show, it's $200. Maybe I'm wrong. I would love to hear the truth behind that. And if you know it, tell me on Twitter. I'm at Dan Benjamin there and, uh, and, and tell me if that's correct and I'll do some follow-up on this show. We do not pay our guests. Co-hosts, though, uh, or hosts of shows, uh, I believe, should, should always get paid if, it, if it's possible. We have some situations where hosts are just starting a show and they're out there saying, I've got this show. I want to make it the best it can be. And we're trying to get sponsors and sponsors, man, sometimes they book out quarters in advance and your show, your brand new show, which is cool. It needs to pick up some steam. It needs to show it's building an audience and then we can pitch it to sponsors. And then hopefully one, two quarters out when their budget opens up again, we can get it, uh, we can get it sponsored. So there are plenty of hosts who are out there in the, in the podcasting world who are doing their show essentially for free in the hopes that they're building an audience and building it up. And you know what? That's, that's the way I've started every single show that I've ever done. You start out doing it for free. If you're lucky, maybe you can get a launch sponsor or something. Maybe you can do some freebies. We've talked about that, the whole topic of should you do ads for free or not. Maybe you can do your affiliate links. But you may be doing your show for free for a while as you build that, that audience up. Uh, but yeah, I think hosts, hosts goal should always be to, to get paid a couple more before we hit that big topic. Ruben Ingber asked on the topic suggestion page is a double ender better than just splitting a recording via call recorder into two tracks and editing in GarageBand or Adobe audition or what have you. Yes, it's a significantly better quality, especially if you are recording it with just one computer and you're using call recorder, uh, the audio quality will be much better. Is it better for you as a podcast editor? No, it's usually much easier for you to just have the files there. They're perfectly synced up. You don't have to worry about that. And you just sit down and edit. Uh, again, my recommendation is record with call recorder, use their track, the remote track as a reference point and get their, uh, get their audio from call recorder. I'm sorry, from, from their side and integrate it. That's if you know the other person well and you know that they have a good recording setup and they've got plenty of time. But I'm still a firm believer that if it, the responsibility is on you as the host and the interviewer to do your best recording a show. I try to have guests on Dan Benjamin Hour on a very regular basis as well as on the Pipeline and other shows. And if you do that, uh, if you listen to those shows, they I think those guests generally nine times out of 10 sound really, really good. They certainly sound good enough for a 64K you know, mono file podcast that someone's listening to over their crappy headphones. They certainly sound good enough for that. They might not sound good enough for a National Geographic special, but they probably sound good enough for that daily show that people are going to listen to and they just want to hear the guest. If you think about what we deal with on terrestrial radio, uh, this is people calling up over really, really terrible phone lines to be a guest on a show. So uh, I think we're doing a lot better than that. If you're talking about a co-hosting situation or a situation where you're talking to somebody for a whole hour, hour and a half, get the best possible audio you can. If that means invest in your own equipment to ensure that that uh, you're doing a really great recording, or if it means using their audio track, if they can provide you with that, then uh, then definitely go for it. The last question before our big topic, why do you position and promote Dan Benjamin Hour far more as an independent podcast from 5x5 than other shows? Like it has its own website, chat, different graphics, etc., that's because it's an experiment. Uh, I can experiment with that show since I'm the host of it and I'm the only host of it. I can, I can do whatever I want with that and try things out. 
So one of the things that I tried doing and, and still experimenting with is making a website, a, a separate website for it. It still airs on 5x5, of course, but it has its own website as well, and it does have different graphics, and I have its own like chat page. Like You can go to danbenjamin.com slash live instead of 5x5.tv slash live if you want when we do the show live. I wanted to see if it would make a difference. I wanted to see if people would go to that site and visit and if it would have any effect on uh, audience engagement or interaction. And uh, for me, so far, no real effect compared to other shows. It it hasn't really changed anything. I don't know if giving the show its own separate identity makes any difference. But it's an ongoing experiment, and I'm curious to see what happens. So stay tuned, and I'll I'll give you guys updates about it as things go forward. And now here is our big topic, 40 minutes into the show. Spotify now has podcasting. Is this a good thing? Is it a bad thing? What are my thoughts on it? Lots and lots of people have asked me this. Well, I predicted, uh, based on these rumors that I was hearing, that this would happen. A lot of other people predicted it before I did as well. And it has happened. Spotify just announced early on in this week that they have podcasts. They're going to be releasing them uh, for a lot of people. It's going to be rolling out. It did roll out, and a lot of people, including me, can see podcasts in Spotify. First of all, and I've said this so many times, people seem to forget when I make a comment on Twitter that I said something along the lines of, uh, anybody who's super excited about Spotify having podcasts doesn't get podcasting. And that was a bit of a joke, but uh, a lot of people took that to mean that I thought it was bad, somehow bad, that Spotify had podcasts. I absolutely don't think that it's bad. Five by five shows are on Stitcher. They're on iHeartRadio or iHeartMedia, the app. We're trying to get it onto TuneIn. I have them on SoundCloud. I want them everywhere. I want our shows on every single possible place, whether we track the downloads or not, whether we know how many people are listening or not, whether they give us good stats or not, whether any, I don't care. The more places people can go to hear our stuff, the better. The more people that hear our stuff, the better. I mean, why would anyone feel any way but let's increase our audience? Let's get better exposure. Let's put this in front of more people. iHeartMedia has 50 million users. Why would I not want to put this show in front of 50 million, potentially 50 million people? Of course. Spotify has lots and lots and lots of users. Why would we not want our content on Spotify? Of course we want our content on Spotify. But if you want to put your show today, you make a new, you sit, you, ha, you stop listening to the show when it's over and you sit down in front of your microphone and you record a show. You can get that show on iTunes right now. You, you don't need any special relationship with Apple. You don't need to sign any deals and above everything else, you don't need to pay any money. Here's what you do. You set up your hosting account, you get your feed, you get your website, you get all your good stuff lined up. And uh, I'll be helping with that with the stuff we're coming out with, of course, but you don't need that. There's plenty of ways to do it right now. You go and you get that set up. You submit the RSS feed to iTunes. A human being at iTunes basically goes in and verifies that, yes, the show exists. It has an MP3 file associated with it. The MP3 file works and they have show art. That's basically all iTunes is doing to make sure that it's a real thing. They approve it. Boom. It shows up in iTunes. 
Now, I'm not saying it'll be findable in iTunes right away. I'm not saying that you'll start getting ratings and that you'll have a million listeners, but you can put this thing on an even playing field with Tim Ferriss's show, with Mark Marin's show, with Alec Baldwin's show, with all of my shows, with ESPN. You are on an even, equal playing field with them, with the show that you just recorded on your crappy mic, on your old computer, and uploaded. Done. And if your show is great, it can take those guys on. I'm not saying it will win, (laughs) right? But you can go head-to-head with them. My seven-year-old has a show, and it's been featured on iTunes. That's pretty cool. So you can get there. How do you do that with Spotify? The answer is you can't right now. Maybe that will change. But right now, there is no clear path for you to get your show on Spotify. And I do not like that. I want podcasting to be a level playing field for people. And it bothers me a lot when it is, because for a lot of people, their first introduction to podcasts may be Spotify. It's not going to be Marco Arman's Overcast. It's not going to be Instacast. You know what I'm saying? It might not even be the podcast app on Apple. It's going to be Spotify. And they're only going to see these shows that Spotify has picked for you. I don't want Spotify to pick what show. I want to hear Roderick on the line. Thank you very much. That's not there. I want to hear some of the cool stuff that Scott Johnson does at Frog Pants. That's not there. I want to hear Tom Merritt's Daily Tech News show. That's not there. The shows that I, I, I have a really awesome Buddhist podcast that I listen to that talks about like meditation. So don't stress out too much. That's certainly not there. What's there? Somebody at Spotify decided what I should listen to. They decided what should be under that shows tab. Now, iTunes sure does decide what to promote. But there's also a, a big aspect to iTunes stuff, which is based on, uh, on, on what listeners are subscribing to and what listeners are playing and what listeners are rating. I'm, I'm not sure behind the scenes how much of that determines what shows up ranked highly in, in iTunes and how much of it is programmatic and how much of it is audience driven. I don't know. iTunes people know, but I don't know. But I do know with a hundred percent certainty that, uh, Spotify is hand picking these things. I don't like that. Not because my shows aren't on there, but because shows that I can't, I, I like to listen to aren't on there. And I don't know if and when they will ever be on there. I don't know what kind of agreement we have to sign to put those shows out there with Spotify. I do know that they have partnered with Libsyn and that if you're hosting your show on Libsyn that you either already have or will be getting what Libsyn calls destinations. So you can, when you post a show on Libsyn, you can choose where that show gets posted. So obviously it posts to your regular feed. They can also post it to a SoundCloud destination for you. Well, now there is out or coming out a, uh, a, a destination for Spotify. So if you're currently hosting your show on Libsyn, or I suppose if you go and start hosting it on Libsyn, then they, you will have a destination to publish it to Spotify. That still doesn't mean it will get on Spotify. 
But right now, that seems to be the only channel and the only way that a person that Spotify hasn't called up on the phone and tapped on the shoulder and said, by the way, hey, Nerdist, uh, Tim Ferriss, we want your show out here. Those are big, big companies or big celebrities and their shows are out there. But will yours be able to be on there? I want it to be. I want the show that you record with your friend every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. to be on Spotify. And I think it should be on Spotify. But right now it isn't, and I have no idea how it's going to get there. And that bothers me. If you want your show on Overcast or Downcast or Pocketcast or Instacast, you can get it on there, and there's a direct path to getting those shows on there. And frequently, you don't have to do a thing because they're going to scrape iTunes data, and they're going to pull iTunes data, and your show will wind up there. Some of those uh, podcast apps even have special URLs so that you can like put a prefix uh, in front of a regular URL, and the first time you click it, like it adds it to their system automatically. This is really cool. How do you do that with Spotify? I'm not saying it's bad. I think it's great. I want all of our shows on Spotify. I want all of your shows on Spotify. But right now, it's a black box. It's closed off. And to be honest with you, I don't want to have to pay money to a service that I currently don't already pay money to in order to potentially get my show maybe on Spotify. I don't want to have to be a customer of a company that I might not want to use in order to maybe get my show on Spotify. If I was already hosting with Libsyn and I already had all my stuff there, I might be thinking, oh, cool, I'm already there and maybe my show will get picked. Maybe one day I'll be in, uh, be on Spotify too. Well, that's cool, but what if you're not on Libsyn? What if you don't want to be on Libsyn? I'm not saying that's the case for me. I'm open to using anything that makes sense. But that means now I have to go and use Libsyn to get on Spotify? iTunes doesn't require me to use a certain service. They just want my RSS feed to be valid. They want my shows to be real shows and they want me to have artwork. Well, I'm doing that. You're doing that too with your show, I assume. So these are, these are some of the frustrations that I have with this situation. I would rather have podcasts in Spotify than not have them. Of course. And you know, we, we were contacted way early on by Stitcher. And they said, we want to have your content in Stitcher. iHeartMedia contacted us, said, we want your content in, in iHeartMedia. So, of course, I put it there. I want as many people to listen to it as possible. I would love for Spotify to have come to us and said, hey, we want your content here. I wouldn't have said, no, I'm not putting my content on Spotify until everybody can put it on. I would say, of course, I want it on Spotify. But it's frustrating to me because the whole thing that makes podcasts great is that they're, they, at least in, in a large part, they're independent. And it gives the independent people a chance to compete head-to-head on a level playing field or as level playing field as we're going to get with the big boys. And I love that. When David Letterman used to go and chuck watermelons off the rooftop, and complain about the executives at NBC and GE. I love that because he was like fighting the power in a way, right? And isn't that what podcasts do best? We can say whatever we want here. There is no FCC governing this. 
We can say whatever we want. We can say it however we want. Then, yeah, there's rules like don't have too long of the intro music or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But reality, there are no rules. And so the more involved these corporate structures are in what we do, the worse it is. Anything that I build, I, I want to focus on the indie person, on the independent person and helping independent people because I would be nowhere if people hadn't wanted to support me when I was coming out with these things, when I was trying to do shows. And the only people, the only way for people to listen to the shows that I was doing was like you had to jump through 50 hoops to get it on your phone, to get it on your iPod before there was a phone. Those people did it because they liked this independent thing that we're doing. They liked the independent spirit. They wanted to hear voices that weren't corporate, that weren't highly produced and formulaic. That's the heart of podcasting. So no, of course, I think it's great that Spotify is doing this. But give us all a path to get on Spotify that doesn't require us using a particular service, doesn't require us being a huge company doesn't require a special agreement where we will release our content there first. Just open the doors because Spotify has tons and tons and tons of users. I would love to make Spotify playlists of my favorite episodes that I can update each week and share with my friends. That's powerful stuff they've got going on over there. Tons and tons. Oh yeah, you want to, you know what? Here are my choices for the Best introduction to get started with Roderick on the line. Here's my favorite five episodes. That's just a Spotify playlist. How cool would that be? But if they're really going to try and be appealing to the podcast listening audience, they need to understand the way we think. So that was what my comment when I said, if you're excited about Spotify having podcasts, you don't get podcasting. I don't want them to come in and commercialize podcasting, and I sure do not want them to tell me what podcasts I should be listening to. I want you guys to tell me by favoriting them, by sharing them, and by getting them out there on that equal playing field. So that's my thoughts on the Spotify thing. Now, if I finish a show and Spotify calls me up and says, yeah, we we want 5 by 5 stuff on there, of course I'm going to say yes. But you can be darn sure that I'm going to ask them how you guys can get it on there too. And you can be sure that I will say that I don't think the way they're doing it is the right way to be doing it. We all need to be able to put our content there. Hopefully, that's coming. Hopefully, they'll say, here's your sign-up form. And we've just hired 500 people to start approving your shows and putting them out there. And start curating stuff and helping, uh, helping track what's popular. And we're going to be sharing that with all of you. That's the right answer. And that's what I expect from Spotify. And I expect no less. And you should expect no less. But that doesn't mean boycott them. It means uh, tell them what we think. Because all of your shows deserve to be on there. Just like mine. And just like the ones that are there. That's it. If you have thoughts, comments, and you want to hear, uh, you want me to hear what you have to think, Twitter's the best way to do it. I'm at Dan Benjamin. If you just want to chat with me, that's a good way to do it. If you want me to answer your question on the air, when you tweet me, use hashtag podcast method. Best way to do it. And uh, please rate the show in iTunes because you can't rate shows in Spotify and my shows aren't in Spotify anyway. 
So use iTunes. Rate the show. It's the best way for new listeners to find out about it. And uh, if you want to be a Patreon supporter, I love you. Go to patreon.com slash 5 by 5 It's a wonderful way to help out. And uh, visit Linda, lynda.com slash podcast method. Thanks for being here. We'll be back next week. <laughs>